Yeah, I'm going to need that. Thank you. Thanks. We are working. We are on. Okay. Thank you very much, everybody, for having me here today. Um, it is wonderful um, to be able to come to Abbey. And this is actually my first time, although you might remember me from such previous guises as being Hillview's youth pastor for the last kind of three years. Um, so, whoa! So, uh, <clears throat> sorry. I do that from time to time. Um, uh, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's wonderful, actually, to be here, uh, not just as a punter, um, but able to share the Lord's word with you today. Um, and you may have noticed so far that it's been quite different, or at least it's been quite different to my experience of Abbey thus far. Um, I can't say that I've been here very many times. I certainly don't remember there being a disco ball here last time. Um, but, but I do know that when Hill House turns up and when Hill House happens, things change a little bit, don't they? And they feel a little bit like a completely different place. I hope you're forgiving enough to let us do that um, and that you've been able to join in with the way that we worship as well whilst we've been doing that. Um, But that's the whole kind of idea of camp, all right? We completely change what people's experience is for those weeks, for for those kind of five weeks. Uh, And particularly in, in week four, we like to completely take them to another world. Last year, um, we had the theme of a jungle, all right? The whole place was decked out like a jungle. I think it was mainly down to one of our members having purchased an extremely expensive uh, elephant suit uh, and just needing a reason to use it. Um, but, uh, but we t- changed the whole thing into a jungle. Can you imagine trying to teach what the gospel of Jesus is through the idea of being in a jungle? Okay? I, maybe you do. Um, you've got Tarzan ropes, apparently, uh, Abby, so maybe that is what you do normally. But this year, what we are trying to do is change things around a little bit, and our theme is Hollywood, okay, Hollywood. So we'll have red carpet stuff, okay, we'll have premieres, we'll, have black, we'll be in black and white, I think, for one of the days. Um, we'll try and uh, do animation-type stuff. We're going to have a day on comedy. We're going to have a day on action movies, all this kind of thing. Try and give them a whole experience of what it would be to be in a completely different world. Because that's what Hollywood does, isn't it? It kind of puts us in a completely different world. And I love films because they do, within 15 minutes, what nothing else can do. They take you into a completely different world. They give you a set of characters that you immediately begin to like. And then within 15 minutes, something terrible has happened to those characters... And, and, and you're on the edge of tears, some of us are on the edge of tears, uh, because this thing that has happened to these characters has affected you so much. They do incredible things to films, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to being able to share the gospel through films. But as I say, I, I don't kind of plan two years in advance, so I hope you'll forgive me if I do a practice run on you today. I want to share the gospel with you, and I want to do it in the, with the idea that maybe the gospel could be seen as a film script sometimes. Bear with me, not heresy. Okay, bear with me. Uh, they say that when you, uh, when you start writing a film, or when you start writing a novel, the best place to start is at the end. All right? So you've got to start with a strong finish. You've got to know where you want your audience to, to be by the end of the movie. You want to know what you want them to feel. 
And if you keep your Bibles open at Romans chapter 5 today, I think that's what we're going to start with right here. That's what Paul has done. He's laid out, as we begin this passage, just what what the end point is. Okay, shall I read it? Let's read it together. Romans 5, let's read the first couple of verses first. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'm just going to leave that up there for a couple of minutes. I want you to take that in, because that's an incredible finishing point. Imagine I was pitching a movie called The Gospel to Universal Studios. Okay? And imagine I came to them and I said, I want to have a movie called The Gospel that finishes where people are justified through faith. Okay, they're justified by the end of it. That they feel a sense of peace by the end of it. That they've gained access into a new realm of grace by the end of it. And that at the end they have hope. That's a lot to do in a movie. Can you imagine where you would have to go? Can you imagine the journey you would have to go? If you, were, if you were trying to move your audience to this point. You've got you've to say to Universal Studios, we've got a lot of work to do. So they turn around and they say, so James, what, what's your idea for this movie? What kind of movie it's gonna, is it going to be? There's all sorts of kinds of movie, isn't there? Well, I'm going to suggest first and foremost that the gospel is a disaster movie. Stay with me. We all know what we mean by disaster movies. There's four of them up here. Uh, they're really small, so I'll, I'll explain what they're. We've got the day after tomorrow, okay, over here. Big freeze type thing. Armageddon, this one not from the Bible, all right. Um, Deep Impact, well, day after tomorrow wasn't from the Bible either, just, just for the record. Um, Deep Impact um, and Independence Day, okay. These are classic disaster movies. And you know what disaster movies are like, don't you? They are a disaster if you live in New York City. <laughs> the rest of the world, pretty, pretty okay, all right, it's fine. Um, maybe America, a stretch. But if you live in New York, end of the world, about to happen. This is what we're looking at. And you say, well, how can the gospel be like this? The gospel is nothing like this. Let me introduce you to, um, just in a second, the gospel, a disaster movie. I'm going to take you through a few of these. That might be hard to look at to begin with, because the gospel is good news, isn't it? It's amazing news. It's, fanta- it's not a disaster movie. And I certainly don't remember there being any mushroom clouds in the Bible. But bear with me, because it does start off as a disaster movie, doesn't it? I mean, we've got this incredible great God who, who forms this incredible creation, and he has plans for it, and he has a design for it, and he has dreams for it, and he knows what, it want, what he wants it to end up at being. And it doesn't end up there because we mess it up. And he's got this kind of design, this rhythm that he wants for life, and we just fall out of step with it. And everything seems to go wrong. And the first kind of two-thirds of the Bible seems to be just a catalogue of errors, doesn't it? It seems to be this people of God will take the, the people of God themselves, the Israelites, as an example, and they just keep getting things wrong. 
again and again and again and again. And further and further and further away from God they get. And the problem is they just can't meet up to what God's expectations of his creation and his relationship with them are. Now, just like many other uh, unfortunate men in this world, I have a father-in-law. Um, and so for those of you who don't, um, this is my one bit of advice. Um, don't get a father-in-law called Vladimir, okay? Because I've never met a friendly Vladimir, okay? Or one who is easy to get on with. Think of all the Vladimirs you know. Putin, the Impaler, the Impaler, yeah? Um, these are not friendly people. And um, my, my father-in-law, Vladimir, is difficult um, to get on with, uh, particularly for somebody like me. I like, um, I like to have a joke. He doesn't like to have a joke. Um, I, I, I like to be sometimes trivial about things. With Vladimir, everything is the most serious thing he has ever heard in his life. And he speaks to you as if everything is a command. Now, in films, actors uh, sometimes, when they're rehearsing, they use a technique called method acting. Okay? It's where they, for a long period of time, they live their life as if they are the character in the film. When I meet Vladimir, I method act. Okay? I don't start any conversations. All right? I don't start any jokes. Um, I don't ask any questions. Um, I don't try and make small talk with him, because that doesn't exist. And so the whole time, I am being somebody completely different. And my wife, Adelina, she knows this. Uh, and she often, after three or four days of solid method acting, has to take me out for a walk. Um, and, uh, and I have to just be myself for a little while. And no matter how much they tried to method act, the Israelites, they just could never quite keep it going. They'd make little steps, you know. They'd get little ways into trying to, to be the people that God needed them to be. And God gave them rules that they were to follow. He gave them kind of terms and conditions of that relationship. And they tried, and they were nearly there, and then they dropped the ball. And then he gave them signs and wonders to remind them where he was, um, that he was their God and that they were his people. Uh, it didn't work. They carried on sinning. And then he gave them prophets and warned them and said, look here, there is, the, the, there is trouble here if we don't get on. Uh, and that didn't work either. The prophets didn't work either. But God can't, by his very nature, get on with the people who just will rebel against him constantly. Read Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. This is of God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And yet, your creation keeps on failing and keeps on doing evil, keeps on getting things wrong. It's a disaster movie. And let's face it, we are God's enemies in this disaster movie. You see, the disaster movies of Hollywood, they are all about the people being... Uh, in danger from something completely out of their control. But unfortunately, the gospel disaster movie is about the people endangering themselves because they haven't stepped up to the mark. 
And we know, don't we, that this isn't just the Old Testament. This is not just the Israelites. Let me read from uh, Romans, uh, a a chapter or two ahead. Um, We're looking from chapter 7, verse 14. And uh, I'll read it from my version, just let this kind of sink in. The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but I can't help myself, because it is the sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. Now, I know that I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. And no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. And when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. But if I'm doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, inevitably, I do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. And this law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And I think that would be the question of um, whoever it was who was interviewed, who I was pitching to at Universal Studios. I think they would say, well, come on. All right. Disaster movies always have a rescue plan. There's always a rescue plan. All right. What's the rescue plan here? How do we get out of this? And the rescue plan comes in verse 6 of chapter 5. We'll get there. And um, when, when the rescue plan comes, it is not what people are expecting. You see, we've had the rescue plan of the rules, of the, of the signs, of the prophets. But none of those have worked, have they? But it's the rescue plan... Here, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that really is the big shocker. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. There is a lot in that. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We're getting a little bit heavy here, so... I want to just take a break for a little moment and read some poetry. I didn't write it. You might know it. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. In other times there were one set of footprints. And this bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord replied, The times when you have seen only one set of footprints during the low periods of your life when you were suffering from anguish, sorrow or defeat. It was then that I thought it would be fun if we hopped. (laughs) Not the ending you were expecting? 
Funnily enough, this wasn't the ending that the Israelites were expecting either. All right? Uh, they thought that something different was going to happen because in disaster movies, we all know what happens. The president stands up and he makes a speech and everybody watches it on their little black and white TVs they've still got at home. And the people rise up and they're inspired. And all of a sudden, the people find a way to avert disaster. Hollywood doesn't have this kind of ending, all right? But I think not only is the gospel a disaster movie, the gospel is a movie with a twist, okay? And it's a movie with a twist that Hollywood would never buy into because suddenly it's not the people who are defeating what is victimizing them. It's actually God himself who is sacrificing himself for the sake of of essentially the enemy, the enemy being us. And I think this is really where it all changes, where the whole thing flips around from being a disaster movie, because yes, I do think the gospel starts as a disaster movie, but I do think that it moves on from there, and it moves on at the cross. And that is what we find in Romans chapter 5. In verse 7, it says, look, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. This is not how it's meant to happen. What's meant to happen is that people change their ways and come and be with God. But what happens is that God alters the laws of the very universe, comes to be with people, and dies for them. And that is a twist that Hollywood will never have. Now, Let me read, as I show you that, let me read from Mark. Think of this as being for you. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means Skull Hill. They offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then they nailed him to the cross. They gambled for his clothes, throwing dice to decide who would get them. That happened because of you. It was nine o'clock in the morning when the crucifixion took place. A signboard was fastened to the cross above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified with him, their crosses on either side of his, and the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. This happened because of you. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You can destroy the temple and rebuild it within three days, can't you? Well... Then save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. This happened because of you. And the twist, I think, changes our our kind of disaster movie of the gospel into a love story. See, the gospel is a disaster movie. The gospel has got an incredible twist, but the gospel is at its very heart a love story. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. As God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
If we read in Ephesians chapter 2, in fact, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And all of a sudden, we're starting to make our journey towards that end point that we started with in Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Since we have been justified through faith. Now that is what the crucifixion is all about. That's where the love story comes in. It's that justified through faith. Not through the prophets, not through the signs, not through the rules, but actually through the fact that Christ did the work for us. And so when you say to yourself, I'm just not good enough for this. At one time, that was the disaster movie. But in the love story, that reads differently. When you say, I'm just not good enough for this, God says, have you still got faith? Well, yeah, I've still got faith. Then it's all right. You're justified. I'm just not quite making up to the mark. I'm not quite the Christian I want to be. Have you still got faith, though? You've still got faith, right? Justified. Justified because you've got faith. And through that, we've gained access to to the originally designed relationship with God. The one that happened before that disaster movie even took place. I want to share a little video with you, if I can. Have we got any sound on it? Here we go. You might recognize that. You might recognize that hobby. That wasn't James Bond's first, okay? Um, that was Jesus's first. You may remember that at some point, if you've seen that movie, Skyfall, it's the latest James Bond, right at the beginning of the movie, when you don't expect it, James Bond is shot and he appears to die. He doesn't, obviously. He escapes, as James Bond always does. It would be a rubbish movie if he had died. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't what anybody was expecting, Okay, Luke chapter 24 says that resurrection wasn't what anybody was expecting either. Chapter 24 verse 19, there's a bloke called Cleopas and he is walking down a road that leads to a city called Emmaus and somebody draws up next to him and asks what they're talking about. We're talking about the things that have happened over the last few days. And what are those things? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. He is dead. He's not what we hoped him to be. But we know, of course, that that man who was walking beside them We know that the man who was asking them about what they were talking about was Jesus, risen from the dead. And we know that explains why it says at the end of uh, verse 8, 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then goes immediately on to verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Another twist. Another twist that Hollywood could never cope with. Another twist that says Jesus today is alive. That Jesus lives life with us. And all of a sudden, this movie doesn't seem so distant. It doesn't seem like it's just back there in history. It doesn't seem like the disaster movie that's passed, then the twist that's gone past, then the love story that was an old love story that we still love. It's something that is current all of a sudden. And so you say to the, the bloke who's at Universal Studios, you say, well, this is going to be a different kind of movie. It's not just a disaster movie, not just a love story. This will be an action movie. And it will be an action movie in which the audience are involved. Because suddenly, in the resurrection of Christ and in the giving of the Holy Spirit to us, we find ourselves in this movie. Universal Studios would love that. 4D? Brilliant. They can actually experience this whilst it's going on. That would be fantastic. I guess the uh, delusions of grandeur that maybe our life and that our life walking with God might be something big like that, might be something like the big love story, the big resurrection. Some of that is true. Some of that is news for us, that we don't have to fear death because we know where we're going because Christ survived that. He died and rose again so that we can as well. But some of it is a little bit different, isn't it, when we are involved. I want to introduce you to Honest Movie Trailers. Excuse me. So lazy, 
It reuses the same over-the-top cell effects. So boy, this backstory sounds more interesting. So disappointing. It's best moments are the references to the previous movies. And so cartoonish. It shows them refrigerating protection from a nuclear bomb. Sometimes my life feels like that. Alright? Not like that. Okay? Not literally like that. But it feels like what I, wa- what I wanted it to be it's not quite made, has it? It's not quite made it up to scratch. And actually, when you look in the Bible and you look at your heroes of God and you look at what God did through them, sometimes my mundane, slightly disappointing life doesn't stack up. But this is a very different type of action movie that we're in. Okay? Romans 5, 3-4. to We also glory, and it's a strange translation, we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Because the action movie that we're in is our day-to-day life, isn't it? It's the fact that Jesus is involved in our day-to-day life. And it's the fact that sometimes that's disappointment. And sometimes that's mundanity. And sometimes that's difficult. And yet we're asked, aren't we, in verse, uh, well, let's have a look. We're acting, asked in verse 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 5 to have hope and to boast in hope. But what is hope then? That is the final part of the puzzle when it comes to the gospel. And hope, I'm not talking about in the same way that we understand hope. We understand hope in a very funny way, and I, as well as many of you probably today, um, hope that this afternoon we, um, we might see a, a British Wimbledon champion. Okay? Um, but that's hope that is founded on the same thing that I hoped yesterday we might have Sabine Lisicki as the Wimbledon champion. It's the same kind of hope. All right? But the hope we have is different, isn't it? The hope that we boast about is different. And for one very good reason. Here we go. And hope does not put us to shame. It says, Romans 5, verse 5, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope does not put us to shame. We can rely on it. Why? Because we've read the book. Have you ever been to a movie and you've read the book? You've already read the book. You already know how it ends. Okay? It doesn't stop you enjoying the movie. It doesn't, ins- it doesn't stop you feeling the pain halfway through the movie. It doesn't stop you feeling empathy with the characters in the movie just because you know that it's going to turn out okay in the end. We still live life, don't we? We still hurt in life. We still find life difficult. We still are here, present, here and now. We're still living this action movie. But we've read the book. And we know how it finishes. And we know that the disaster is averted and we know that love wins out. And we know that God is with us the whole way through. I hand over to the band.